Um, to me, writing is a way of expressing not only how I feel about myself, um, but also about how I view the world through my own lens of queerness, my Indianness, and my expatness, if you might, and to really understand what the world means to me and how the world treats me and people around me. So that is a huge part of my writing. And a lot of my writing aims to take back a lot of concepts that either might have been taken uh, from immigrant communities, sometimes even stolen, and really letting people understand the world in a different way, give them a new perspective, give them a better, not better, but a unique thought process of questioning things about understanding what they see around themselves in a different way. And that's what I aspire to do when I write. And writing has helped me find myself and made me understand who I am better, made me comfortable in who I am, and has helped me accept that I'm a combination of a lot of things. And I'll never be one single thing because all of these little tiny things are what make me who I am. Hey everyone, welcome to the Closet Writer Chronicles. I'm your host Sangeeta, aka The Moody Marshmallow. You just heard our guest for today, Pragadish Kalaivanan. Pragadish is a queer Indian marketer and poet. Having completed his B.Tech in computer science, he moved to the US to study and pursue a career in marketing. He is also an influencer with a growing presence on TikTok and has been featured by National Public Radio, Yahoo News, NBC and Daily Dot. Before we move into the conversation, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster Podcasting Made Easy. So I've been podcasting for about two years now and I stumbled onto Zencaster while I was recording season two of the show. Though I only use the audio recording version, they have a video recording feature as well and you can now edit your episodes on the platform. If you're a podcaster looking for an all-in-one podcast workstation, then check out Zencaster. You'll find a special offer link in the description of this episode for which you'll get 30% off by using the code CLOSETWRITER. Now let's tune in to hear about Pragadesh's journey with writing, identity, stories and more. Hi everyone, welcome to the Closet Writer Chronicles. This week I have with me Pragadish Kalaivanan. So welcome to the show Prags, it's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, honestly. It's great to be on the show, finally. <laughs> I know, I know. Also, you know, quick disclaimer to listeners in the audience. So Prags and I, I call him Prags. So Prags and I uh, go way back since like college. We actually met at a model UN. I think both of us were like 19 or just about turning 20 when we met. So it's we've known each other for a while. So I think this is a really special episode and I'm just... I'm so happy to have you here and to kind of, you know, kind of dive into your journey and the cool things you've been doing. And with that, I think the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, what is your earliest memory of being creative? Um, Before I jump into the earliest memory, I want to just say, yeah, we've known each other since we're 19 and thank God we're 23 now. But (laughs) (laughs) no, but in in terms of my earliest memory, um, it's definitely, I think in second or third grade. 
when we, you know, we had those fancy dress competitions and I wanted to make my own costume. I said, oh. I will not be buying a costume. I want to make my own costume. I know what I want to make was not great, but I wanted to be, you know, a, in, in Tamil, you'd be like Adivasi. Oh God. Almost. Okay. And I was honestly, Right now, it would be banned. I would be flagged. But at that time, I mean, I was very young. And I think it was from a cartoon I watched. And I was like, I want to be this. And I'm going to make my own thing. I do not want to go buy it. And I think that's, I feel like, was the earliest moment that I can remember. Like, clearly, of me being adamant. Me wanting to do things the way I wanted. And being as creative as I could possibly be. And I guess, in, in terms of clothes, it still carried on. I still do Halloween like nobody's business and I make my own <laughs> outfits. <laughs> no, that's amazing. And the reason I said, oh my God, when you said like you wanted to go as an Adivasi, because I was just thinking of like the reactions you may have gotten from people around you. It's not so much as you wanting to dress as one. It's more like, because I think this is such a sensitive topic in itself, especially in a South Asian context. So I'm just picturing that right now. Like, like how did people react to when you wanted like did you finally dress up as one and go as an Adivasi and go oh yes I did I came second <laughs> oh okay great oh yeah and then but then what did people say were they like chill about it or were they like but why I mean I think back in the day people were so excited they were like oh wow uh you made this on your own and they were all like this looks great and I was like thank you thank you I was just like feeling the vibes of it I don't think anybody had any qualms and I feel like that's an issue because we never really had those conversations and I was never told it was I had to like grow up and learn that that wasn't a good thing to have done but I don't think even society my parents anybody ever stopped me from doing it no no that's great because yeah no kudos to you I mean clearly you've been brave since the beginning it's, it's very evident um but you know speaking about bravery but also just kind of like how different you've been with your in terms of you know your trajectory your career trajectory you studied engineering and like many engineers I know you didn't stick with engineering you shifted to marketing uh you went to Boston you went to Halt I studied at Halt as well you did the marketing program and then of course you kind of found a career for yourself in um, that space so what were those career choices like for you in terms of okay when you decided that hey I want to study engineering and then when did you feel like you know I kind of want to shift and then you decide to just go for marketing? Yeah. Um, well, I first of all took engineering because, you know, it is a mandatory rite of passage for anyone who has gone, you know, anyone who has done uh, the PCM uh, for 11th, 12th. It's like, oh, you already studied science. You already did physics, chemistry, math, computer science. You have to, you know, try and do engineering. So that's basically why I did it. Uh, I really didn't know any better. Let's just put it that way. And two years in, I realized I don't think I can do this. <laughs> it was like at the point because everybody, a few people around me, I wouldn't say everybody, a few people around me were learning so much more than what was being taught in class. They had this drive and this passion to be better, to know more programming languages, to be better at coding. And here I was struggling with HTML. I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, it doesn't feel right. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And if I did this as a job, which I did get an internship, 
Okay. In, yeah, I got an internship in quality assurance in like the IT side. And I was like, never again. Okay. Never again will I be doing this as my full-time job. And then I was like, oh, what do I want to do? You know, if not this, what? Because since I was younger, it was just so drilled into me that you have to get good grades in 10th and then do uh, take the science course, get good grades in 12th and then go to engineering. Your, your grandfather's a vet, your uncle's an engineer, dad's an engineer, like it's what you're meant to do. So I used my extra credits uh, to like kind of figure out things that I wanted. So I did like a marketing course. I did a psychology course. I did a economics course. And I think marketing definitely spoke to me and stuck to me a lot more. And honestly, moving. So I knew I was going to do marketing after for my master's. That was always the goal after like second year. Uh, And in terms of when and where, honestly, you did inspire me quite a bit to go to Holt. I don't think I would have gone if it wasn't for you. No, it's true. Um, It's not. It's just, you know, I'm. I did. Ha- I did have. I still do. Obviously, I. I don't want to say did. I still do have a high opinion of you, and so I was like, you know, if she is doing this, it is definitely something that's good. It's definitely something that'll be valuable. So I think I was going in from that perspective into it, and uh, and I was like, oh, it's just one year. <laughs> Let's just get this done with. <laughs> like I'm done with st- four years of engineering. I've like struggled bust through this. Like, I just want to get done with education and studying for, like, at least now and this point in time and see how I feel after. So then when I did do marketing and Halt, I loved it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience of marketing. And I think the biggest thing that I learned was there's no one right answer. Mm. And it blew my mind. I was shocked to my core because all throughout my life till then I'd been told there's one right thing to do. There's one right answer for every question, you know, and all of a sudden you could do whatever you want. And I was like, this is great. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) So that's how I got obviously into marketing. And then I fell in love with it more. And I understood, I finally, after doing marketing, I understood those kids in engineering school that learned all those different languages. Uh, computer coding languages because I started taking extra classes outside I did an Harvard extension course in like business marketing in business management because I was like I want to do this it feels correct and in terms of like professionally after school I basically got into content writing which somehow came organically to me I think I was always inclined to writing in the sense that I always did it and I was always good at it, but I never thought that I was good enough. Okay. So um, all throughout schooling, all throughout uh, even my undergrad, I was always told that I'm writing better than all these other people that, you know, I was surrounded around, surrounded by. But then I was also like, but is it even good enough? Because I see other people that are much better than me. And I think I always had that comparison aspect. It's just the South Indian in me, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So then I got into content and that's how like my whole marketing journey into like as a career began. Okay. Wow. And I think you've like, I think you've moved around quite a bit in terms of your marketing role uh, with like a couple of different organizations. I think because when we initially spoke, you were with uh, Buttery, if I remember correctly, because I remember we spoke then and I, 
I think you shifted again and now you're with Tukin. So like what has that been like in terms of I think finding what works for you in marketing? What, like when you started out, you know, was there anything specific you knew you wanted to do in your role or as a marketing professional, which you think you now are kind of doing in your current role or um, like did you did you kind of have your own ups and downs in terms of, oh, like I didn't realize it would be like this and like kind of maneuvering your way around it? Yeah, so in terms of how, like when I initially started, it was insane because I had no idea what I was doing. I think I had learned all of these things. I knew what marketing was, but I really did not have a lot of applied knowledge. Um, so I started off actually doing a internship when I was at Halt uh, with content writing with a tech company called Redoxio. Um, I think they've rebranded. They're out of Israel. Um, and okay. it was, yeah, it was a fun time. It was a, it was a fun moment. And I realized that, oh yeah, like I think this is fun to like write content that, you know, is tailored to the company. I know there's only one direction, you know, there's not a lot of creative thought process that goes into it. It's more of like a research oriented writing. And through that, uh, at the end of that, I then shifted to buttery after Redoxio. And there, um, it was a little bit of a, about writing. So they had initially asked for somebody who could, who had a writing background, but they wanted them to do more of um, blog content-ish, but also social media and uh, customer-facing content. So it was like writing on all fronts and managing a social media account. And I was like, that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> And I kind of realized that I did not like social media marketing. I was like, I hate this. This is horrifying because it's so glorified. It is insanely glorified in today's like work environment. And you're like, it's horrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is not fun. It is genuinely not a fun thing to do. It is repetitive. It doesn't really give you anything to judge yourself on. It really doesn't let you see impact of your work soon like you really need to wait like a year year and a half like it's a lot more about consistency than anything else and even then it's a hit or miss so then I was like okay I do like the writing aspect of it and with buttery it was a very interesting organization because it's like drizzly I don't know if everybody knows drizzly but it's I don't it's (laughs) it's like an let's say it's an uber for alcohol oh interesting Right. So it's a middleman. So they take from the stores in the neighborhoods and send, get, get it to the people. Okay. So they're essentially a middleman to increase like sales orders for local stores. Okay. Um, so we had to produce content for the store owners to like get the product in and actually pay like the monthly subscription fee. And then we had to get content out for users to actually download the app and use the app to order through. And the blog was essentially, I know, writing that blog really expanded my alcohol knowledge so much okay. <laughs> because it was like, what types of beers do you need for this season? What type of whiskeys would make the best drink? And I was like writing cocktail recipes. I was writing descriptions of alcohol and how it tasted. So it was very, very huge for me. And for somebody who had just started drinking a year before, it was insane. <laughs> This is uh, a great way to introduce yourself to the subject. (laughs) No, it's true, though, because I mean, till I was in India, you know, till I was such a straight arrow for no reason. (laughs) Pun intended. (laughs) 
No, but um, I mean, I tried to be like the model child as much as possible. And I think I did like let loose a little bit when I came over. But yeah, and then after Reduxio, I got a job at Big Skinny, which is a wallet company. So now I had gone from tech to like a intermediate, like uh, intermediate Uber kind of company to a completely B2C company. So now I was working for as a complete marketing manager there. So I managed everything from the website, the backend descriptions, uh, and now I had to work. I like I had a graphic designer who worked for me. I had a SEO person who worked for me and a uh, marketing analytics company that would send us reports. So all of a sudden, the scope of my work had just expanded exponentially, and I was no longer restricted to writing content. I could actually outsource that. So that's when I got to know like all the other facets of, oh yeah, we can have like a, you know, an ABM marketing drip campaigns, like email campaigns that I can run, how to get in more customers. And through that, I also realized B2C is not for me. Oh, okay. (laughs) B2C is not for me only because it was, um, it really is about small, small sales that kind of build up. So it is really about reaching a a huge wide range of audience and then trying to like captivate them and bring them in instead of actually generating like one particular source of income. And I think I like that about like tech companies and B2B companies. And um, also it increases my uh, area of expertise because only like 30% of companies in the world are B2C. So I'm almost narrowing myself into this tiny vision of marketing instead of having that whole scope, which I liked more anyway. And writing content for B2C was the worst. I was like, what am I going to write about wallets and sciatica pain? Think about it, you know, (laughs) it was, it was very interesting. So after that, I was like, I really do want to find a B2B company. This is what I want to do for the next step in my career. And the one thing that I hadn't done till now in marketing was events. So I said, I want to find something that is going to let me do events. And that's let me, that'll let me do B2B. And um, then I moved to Polis. Um, They are, uh, Polis is essentially a, um, I don't even know how to explain it properly. It's a database company, which sells, uh, uh, which knocks on doors, gets information and sells database information to specifically um, telecom industry. So we were like, interesting. Yeah. So we were organizing these huge events, uh, getting like people from uh, Google Fiber, getting people from Stellar, getting all of these like big name people to come in. And that was an amazing experience for me, just organizing this entire event and doing all of it. And I was like, event marketing is super, super fun, but I'm not somebody who loves working. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That is not not true, but okay. I'm not somebody who loves, I didn't love the, the hustling part of it where it was, it was like all of this effort that we're putting into getting all of these high ranked people is so roundabout. At this point, I'm not marketing anything to them. I am trying to reach their secretaries to get an appointment with them to maybe talk to them. Or I'm trying to reach a um, investor so he can kind of propagate the information to the companies that he knows. 
So it's not really as much marketing as it it felt like it was like a people thing. It was almost like PR at this point. I was like, I love events, but I don't like this side of events. What do I want to do? So that's when I moved to uh, to Canon. It was the perfect role for me. Uh, right now, it's uh, lead generation and content management. So oh, okay. I get to, yeah. So I get to like generate leads uh, for the sales team. I get to work on that side of it and make sure I'm having an actual impact on the bottom line where I'm like, yes. So these leads that we got from these sources have converted and it's like a direct see-through funnel. And that was very motivational for me because I could see like the effect of my work. And I ended up having like uh, interns to write content for me. So all I had to do was like SEO management, review content. Yeah. Make sure it aligned with what we were doing. And also the scope of content, because I was managing not just like written blog content, it expanded. So I got to do webinars. I got to do eBooks that I collaborated with the writers and designers. And that really felt like, yeah, this is the perfect mixture of everything for me. So that's where I'm now. Yeah, that, no, that's amazing. And I think like, you know, thank you for, you know, kind of taking us through that whole journey you had in terms of, you know, finding at least where you want to be currently in terms of like a marketing role, right? And it kind of reminds me, this quote by, um, I think it was Steve Jobs who said this, that basically it's only when you look back and you really connect all the dots, you know, it's like, so it, it it's really interesting to see how you kind of had that journey of figuring out, okay, I like this, I don't like this, what can I do that incorporates everything? Um, and I relate to that even in terms of my career because uh, I, I've not had a very uh, straightforward career myself. So it, it really, I think various experiences definitely help. And I think something that again resonated from what you said was that um, when you said you were at Hulk, you kind of realized that there's no one right answer. There can be many right answers. There can be many ways of getting to the right answer. There's no, you know, a fixed way of doing something. I think that's the conversation around, right? There's so many ways of doing something. You don't have to be one thing. You can be many things. You can be anything you want to be, you choose to be. Um, so it's really cool to just see you thrive. And I, al- I always tell you this, I'm so proud of you and yeah, more power to you. <laughs> but yeah, no, just to, uh, you know, to get segue into my next question, because you said, uh, you know, social media is overrated. And I I agree, digital marketing is a, is a thing, like, because I have done it in one of my internships. And I have, and I'm glad I did, because I understand the sort of, the kind of work that goes into it. And I have a lot of respect for people who do the job now. And like, like hats off, like, it's, it is not easy, you really need to be passionate about it and love doing it. But having said that, like, you are on TikTok and you're like a full-on influencer now. And I, I don't know because, I mean, TikTok is banned in India, as you might know. But I, I got like a slight glimpse on my uh, Google search page that I, I believe you have around, what, 66,000 followers or something like yeah. that? Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah. Yeah. So then how do you go from like, oh my God, social media. So I mean, obviously as a job, this is something you do personally, but still like, how do you go into that? Like, oh, you know, like, let me try TikTok and then you actually like really get into it. So like, what has that journey been like for you? Yeah, honestly, I did not even think I would get into uh, any kind of social media like that. And it's really funny to see my journey now that you've pointed it out, because uh, back when I was in engineering, I was all like, 
never will I be on trend with everything. Like I'm a rebel. Like I'm going to do what I want to do. Like I was so weird like that. And then when I came into marketing, I was like, I need to be on top of everything. I need to be better at all of this. And TikTok genuinely happened because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to get left behind um, because the, the landscape is changing so much. And even if I'm not actively working as a social media manager, I need to have an idea of it just in case maybe my next job has a TikTok. If I become a marketing manager of a place, I need to be on top of all of these different applications that have come out, you know, um, and have a working knowledge of them. It's the same reason I'm on Be Real and Laps. Okay. Do I, <laughs> you know, do I need to be on them? No, but I just want to have a working knowledge of, you know, every single application out there. And TikTok kind of blew up uh, for me, uh, obviously during COVID, like I think everybody else on TikTok, we all did not have anything to do. And um, I was really on a journey of, I wouldn't say self-love, but like really connecting with who I am as a whole. Um, it was, it, it's been a long journey and I think you can almost see it through my TikToks, um, in the beginning, I would never show my face on TikTok without a filter on it. Oh, okay. I if first, I, yeah, initially I didn't even show my face, and then when I started showing my face, I always had to have a filter on it, like clear skin. I had like lighter eyes, like it wasn't me, you know. And um, then I I started initially doing cooking videos because I felt like I had really lost touch with the cooking aspect of it, which made me feel at home a lot and I do like making Indian food and I just did not I don't know why I don't know what stopped it it was just it had happened and I realized it so I said I'm gonna start cooking I'm gonna start making something every day so I started cooking and I was like posting it online will just motivate me because I'm like oh look like you've only posted like a week ago and you haven't cooked anything new for another whole week let's 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 get on so I post, and the first video that really blew up, I think it was like 250,000 views or something. It was when I made the worst vada possible. <laughs> okay. The vada batter was watery. I couldn't, it wasn't even thick enough for me to make the hole in the middle. It looked like a budgie. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. It was so bad. Like I knew the mistakes I had made, but I was like, I've put in this effort. Somebody else can learn from it. And so I just uploaded the recipe. Uh, not, not, not really telling people how to make it, but like, here's what I made kind of a thing. And people are like, this looks great. I was like, really? <laughs> Does? <laughs> and then people are like, we make stuff like this in Africa. We make stuff like this in other places. I was like, oh, that's great. And then people started asking me for like measurements and like, how do we make this at home? Okay. And my issue here is that the recipe I get is for my mom oh okay so these yeah so they're not well written they're not like you know recipes you would find on the internet of like this is how much you need to do my mom's like take a handful of this put a pinch of this just mix it around and I was like that's the recipe I know so that's how I started saying my recipes on my TikTok I don't think a single person will be able to make it <laughs> like the way <laughs> It's just because my mom's like, I, I'll be like, how do you know when the onions are done? She's like, you'll know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, God, I don't know what you mean. 
this is an in, this is an indian parent and grandparent thing they're like yeah you'll just know when the color changes and i'm like but to what color what shade of brown like what is the pantone shade like i need to follow to stop and my grandmother be like no no it's 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 here it's this it's that you'll know you'll know i'm like okay cool so i yeah. designate and it's even like even things like where i'll be like oh uh, i need to put like chili powder and turmeric i'll be like how much and she'll be like how much ever as much as you need I'm like that's not but that's not the thing I don't know how much I need. I don't have an idea of proportions like and so that's how I had my recipes told out and people somehow um uh, really liked it. And um then I made friends with uh, a TikToker uh, a lot of spice and okay. she used to also do a lot of cooking videos and she was in the Boston area. Loved meeting her and um when we met she brought up this conversation with me about how like obviously we are putting out any recipes and we're kind of like hey like this is the name of this recipe this is the name of that recipe and she was really annoyed that day when we met about um a i forget her name but it was a new york times writer she like a recipe writer and she had like over 500,000 followers and she had ended up making chana masala and calling it like something weird like easy on the tummy lentils or something and she had this whole which i'm okay if you give a recipe you're whatever making up a name but she'd given this whole story about how her friend had a sensitive digestive tract and how her stomach was so gentle and so she came up with this recipe and made it for a friend it was really gentle on her stomach i was like i am going to flip something right now (laughs) (laughs) okay like it was just insane the, the the whole storytelling even if you take a recipe from there it's fine it's at least the same food and people will know it but to literally claim that you made it up in your own kitchen in your own home like that was crossing a line and i said all right i really don't know if i want to get into talking about these things you know because it's a little negative it's a little i don't want to rile people up and i don't mind and at that point i was also still like you know really trying to fit in as you could tell by the filter situation and whatnot and so um later i think it was this article by um again i forget the name i it was an article that i read and i knew it because i saw it in padma lakshmi's twitter oh okay and she had commented gene gene was the name of the author and he had written about foods he doesn't like and he had oh i think i remember you sharing this yes but please continue of course uh, so he had like written about like old bay seasoning. He doesn't like celery. And then one of the blanket terms was Indian food. He doesn't like Indian food. And he had said he doesn't like it because they only use one spice and everything tastes the same. So I think that's when I was like, you know, after having cooked for almost a year, I know what goes into it. and I know how hard it is to make it. And if you've done that, you've just not had good Indian food. But to have such a huge platform. Mm. to write about it to get backlash from celebrities then to go down and double down saying i just ordered from an indian restaurant nearby i stick with what i said that's yeah so that's what really pushed me and i was like all right that's it i'm gonna talk about it i don't care what people think it's about food that i am making and i just said I and at that point I was also like a lot more comfortable in my own Indianness. I feel like 
And I said, this is it. No filter, nothing. I am going to go ham and I'm going to say what I want to say and how I want to say it. And obviously that did really, really well. Um, I think it was like almost like 500,000 people had watched it or more. And then people just started flooding my inbox with, can you please look into this brand? Can you look into these people? Uh, Just give us your opinion on this. So from a cooking TikTok, it went into an opinion piece almost. Okay. Where I was giving my opinions on all of these different things. And um, at some point I'd seen somebody make a dosa and call it a lentil pancake. Oh my God. Which I was like, I guess this is where we're going to draw the line again. So I didn't really say anything. I just made the dosa recipe, you know, stitched it and made the actual recipe and just said, this is what it's called. And for some reason that had like over a million something views. And that's also actually why I got my first thought writing like paid gig. Mm. So we saw that and said, hey, we would like to pay you to write like a piece about this for us. And I was like, work. Great. Thank you. And it's just segued into that. And as I kept doing it, kept doing it, I guess my worst fears did come true. It did get too negative at some point where it was like not great for me to continuously think about things like that or really, you know, push it too much. So I stopped, took a step back. I'm joining into it with a lot more positive attitude uh because it was great being negative for some reason was great on social media i was getting uh brand deals i was getting uh products sent to me i was getting like a free not even about cooking anymore like uh makeup and clothing to review and i was like i don't know if i want to do this right like i don't want this to be a career for me i don't want this to be like my life and i don't want to obsess over views when I post a video. I want to go back to the old days when I cooked because I wanted to cook and I posted it for fun. I didn't really care how many people saw it. I cared that I posted it. That was my accomplishment. So now I've taken a step back and I'm actually journeying slowly into it again. And uh, I'm doing it for myself again. And I'm just now, uh, I'm, I've recently started the series called uh, Trying to Fit My Indian clothes into my everyday wardrobe oh so I try to yeah I try to fit in like one or two pieces every day and like shamelessly film myself in public and (laughs) talk about my thought process of putting it together so it's been a great back and forth journey through TikTok Hmm. no that's really interesting but what I found I think most um fascinating was that you know you mentioned that obviously once you started getting the views and there were like you said you were getting like these whole like you know brand deals essentially and the reviews and whatnot because it's so funny because at least I know in terms of a lot of the content that's going around now in terms of podcasts and stuff and like all these um educational pieces in career this thing like one of the things that keeps coming up is that Gen Z is very into wanting to be influencers that's like the like one of the major career choices a lot of them want for whatever reasons and I mean it's a great personal branding uh, thing but I think what I what I resonated with also and what I liked about what you said is that that's not the reason that's not something you saw for yourself as a career choice because you clearly I think you knew that you wanted to stick to you know marketing or whatever else you wanted to do and this is just an extension of who you are and maybe an extension of your 
I don't even want to call it personal branding, but just expression, like the way you express yourself and, you know, put yourself out. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's still evident because I never made a different name or anything for TikTok. I wasn't trying to brand myself as the cooking guy or like, <laughs> my name is, my name is Pragadish Kalaivanan on TikTok without the last two letters because they wouldn't fit. <laughs> they had a limit <laughs> to the length of the name. <laughs> So it's Pragadish Kalaivana. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think it's really cool that you're consciously, like you're being yourself without being, I think without the FOMO of like missing out on an opportunity you could get just for the sake of having that opportunity. Yeah, and for sure. No, and I think that's important. But then like having said that, how do you then kind of, do that for yourself because obviously when you're in a position where you're getting that kind of recognition and you know that oh this could become something then how do you sort of sit yourself down and talk to yourself and say that hey like is this really what I want to do because it can be tempting Mm -hmm. when you know it's an easier way to get money and get a little more recognition and you know so then how do you kind of have that conversation with yourself I think it came about organically for me only because I was already going through that journey of balancing who I was. Uh, Because I think when I went, like I might have, I did throw this word fitting in and I didn't know what I was fitting into. And when I was in India, I was trying to be as outsider as possible. You know, I didn't want to identify fully as an Indian when I was in India, because people kept saying my accent is this, my this is that. And there was a lot of comments. And I was like, I don't want to be this then. Then when I came here, it kind of further was this, I would like to say like an internal learned process where I was like, oh, to be better, I need to look a certain way. I need to sound a certain way. I need to be a certain way. I need to stand out. And then I think I was at the point where I was really going through what genuinely, who, first of all, who am I? And two, what makes me happy? Like, what is genuinely bringing me happiness? Is it making me happy to to have to throw on a filter every single time I post a picture of myself? Is it making me happy to upload these videos all the time and talk about these specific things? Is it making me happy to be at this job and like get leads? Is it making me happy to buy all of these clothes every single time there's a problem in my life? Is it making me happy to be drinking almost every week? Should I, how should I, you know, what is essentially making me happier, making me feel better? And so it was a huge, like, now that I, now that I look back, I'm like, damn, like I did like change a lot uh, from the person I was like, I'm, I really don't uh, put a lot of value into things like views or things like even drinking uh, that much anymore. I'm like, I can drink socially maybe don't have to drink four days a week don't have to drink three can drink whenever I want to and I need to have that balance for myself I'm very comfortable with how I look like I no longer I mean I do criticize myself all the time in the mirror but not in public (laughs) (laughs) other people and uh, I'm like comfortable enough just showing my own face showing my whole body just being who I am and not Uh, thinking like every single thing is going to be a judgment and not thinking about what anybody else is going to say. 
So I think that's, it was just like this whole, it was, it was really insane now to think about it. But back then I was just like, oh, what's helping? What's helping? What is good for me? Like every small thing that I did, because I think it was just that realization that everybody has a job, everybody gets in, gets a family, but most people get a family, but not everybody ends up being happy. And I saw so many people who weren't. And I said, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to end up like that. Yeah. And more power to you. Like I said, I think for you to have that sort of um, clarity, basically, in terms of, okay, you know, that I have this opportunity, but is it an opportunity I really want? I think recognizing that is also um, important because I think it's true in life, you will get many opportunities and chances to do things. But I think it is recognizing the fact that is if it's truly meant for you, and if it fits into what you define as happiness and success for yourself um so more power to you for kind of having that clarity of thought and going with what you thought was right for yourself because you know sadly not a lot of people can do it um I think because we live in a world where success is defined in certain ways so hence people think that oh if we do this this is what so you know I think definitely it's amazing that you have that sort of um understanding of yourself for sure um having said that then you know obviously since you are on tiktok and you were in this phase of figuring yourself out what would you say your relationship with social media is like because obviously even you're dealing with it professionally um i don't know if you're dealing with it as much now like how you were in your earlier roles but it is still i would imagine still a part of what you do professionally to some degree and obviously it's a part of your per- it's a personal extension of yourself as well so then what is your relationship like with social media yeah i think my relationship is where i have like segmented and segregated social media And I think it comes from work because, you know, in marketing, you try to like have a point of view for each social media platform and what you want from it and your goals for, for what it is. And, um, that's basically what I've done for my personal life too. Um, it, it, it respect like my Instagram, my TikTok, like I always say that my TikTok is a place that I express my opinions and I am honest about how I feel about everything. And I think that level of honesty regarding everything is what got me to also self-reflect because at some point I was like, Hey, I'm seeing this about other people, but I'm not, you know, intrinsically doing it for myself. It's like, I'm preaching more than I'm actually thinking about it. So it really helped me get more clarity about what I want, who I am. I'm still not a hundred percent there, obviously, but it definitely set me on a journey to becoming a better person And honestly, after the whole, like, like taking a break from TikTok, it also has taken, I've taken a step back to become a little kinder. I don't want to be too kind, but a little (laughs) kinder to people. And even in terms of my Instagram, I've always said that my Instagram is a love letter to myself. Like, it's not for anybody else. It's not for anything. It's just for me to look at and say, damn, I look good damn I look amazing you know and it's a very it's it's a personal thing for me and I don't that's why I don't really care how many likes I get or how many comments I get because I look at my Instagram more than anybody ever will and I know that as a fact you know and I think it's just associating social media with uh, something of yourself that's in your control so even now that I've restarted TikTok 
my goal is to be able to post a video a week. Not how many views I get for this video, not, oh, I want these many views or because I've taken a break. I know how that will affect your view rate. I know how, uh, you know, the comment rate and everything will be affecting. But the fact that you associate things with something you can actually have control over is going to be so much more beneficial in terms of social media because a lot of it revolves around others. Like, what do other people think? How much do other people care? What are other people looking at? And the minute you take out other people from the equation, social media is going to be a safe space for you. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a really cool way of looking at it because, yeah, social media, I think a lot of times it is because, yeah, I think in a way, I think more than the expression part of it, it has become a branding thing. <laughs> Everyone's, I think, using it as a personal brand page in a way. Um I mean, I don't know if it's right or wrong. It's just the way the world is kind of going in some sense uh, of it. Uh, or at least that's what I'm getting a sense of anyway. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, again, more power to you to kind of just figuring out your clarity with social media. This is something I struggle with, honestly, because um, in publishing, especially, I know how it works is that if you're a writer and you're pitching to publishers like a manuscript or whatever, like if even if the editors love your manuscript one of the things they do especially like things will get shot down because sales and marketing will be like this person doesn't have a strong enough personal brand that we can use to sell the book or even if the manuscript is very niche or whatever so that has become like social media has also become a part of those numbers in terms of pushing out sales in that sense even in creative spaces so uh yeah I, i'll tell you this it's transcended even that because um uh, we were in New York okay, and uh, we were like getting on a guest list uh, for a club. Okay. And we, my friend was like, Hey, I have like three other friends. Uh, can we all get on the guest list? And the organizer was like, I've seen your Instagram. I can't let the others in until I see their Instagrams and see how they look and present themselves. I can't add them to the guest list. Whoa. So if you don't look good enough, on your Instagram, you can't get added to a guest list to a club that you will be paying money for, you know? At the end, you'll be paying money when you go into this club. You'll be paying for the drinks, but they're like, not if you don't look good. Not today. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we, we're really moving in quite a direction. I, I, do, I don't even know what to say. No, I just it just uh, really popped up in my head because you were like, personal branding, yes, but it is also, you know... Um, such a criteria all of a sudden in so many places of your presentation of your life and you on social media. And that's why so many people place a lot more emphasis, even if you're not popular, even if you are not a celebrity or something, everybody is getting judged, irrespective. It's a free for all. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think I think that's one of the reasons why I'm just very happy with like my private page. I mean, I have a public page, but that's just for my writing. I don't really put much of my personal life out there. I'm like, my private page stays private. Like so many people have told me you should go public. It'll help your career in terms of connecting and like reaching more people. I'm like, yeah, but I know what the cost is. I don't know if I'm ready to like 
you know pay that price you know but uh, yeah i mean i mean to people who are brave enough to actually be on this whole influencer footing and like do what they're doing and doing amazing work like more power to them I, it's something i can only imagine the toll it takes on your mental health and the kind of work that goes into doing work like this uh, for sure so um you gave a talk at world without borders right which is an event um highlighting the global lgbtqia plus bipoc disabled and neurodivergent community um and the talk was titled how being called a terrorist made me love myself so um is that something you can share because you know when i came across it when i was just like researching and figuring out like what to ask you i came across it and i was like wait what i knew you spoke at the event i didn't realize what the talk was titled but like you know it be it, it it just intrigued me so is that something you can talk about Yeah of course um so essentially um uh I had mentioned that I was always trying to fit in like I was trying I was trying to be someone that I wouldn't say I was not I was just trying to be what I thought I should be when I moved to this country So then I was just in that era and I had gone to New Orleans uh for like a festival that was happening and I was there for the entire weekend and I was there with a halt friend of mine So this is like after a few a year or two after school. And uh I was it was day 3, we had been drinking for a while. Uh you know, so it's a New Orleans festival like we're going home at like 6 7 in the morning. So then on um uh I think Sunday evening, we had gone out and my friend was like I need to like work tomorrow so I'm going to leave and I'm like I'm very rarely here so I'm going to stay. And there I was just having fun. I was just drinking with people and I think out of nowhere there was a British woman at the bar and we were like in this outdoor terrace and we were just talking laughing and I really don't remember the exact conversation but she was sitting two tables down and she basically walked over and was like just taps me on the shoulder and she's like what are you doing here you're like you're you look like a terrorist and I had you know I really did not know where the comment came from it was just a maybe she was drunk it was like <clears throat> an out of blue comment you know it was in like um i don't think it was like premeditated or something i think it was in her intoxication but it i just did not know how to react to it i didn't know how to feel about it and i was a little drunk so i took the time and i said you can't talk to people like this i was like you uh you know this is completely not okay to say no matter where you are and i want to ask why did you assume that and then i really was like you can't if you see somebody in a turban you see this you can't do that this was all me drunk okay and then i explained all of this and she apologized and i walked out of there and i started crying like i just started i didn't know what emotions took over me and i was just crying and crying and i just could not stop crying and i think it was a moment of extreme clarity where i was like i have been shamelessly trying to fit into a society that i presumed is better without ever acknowledging the side of me that i'm losing or this actually who i am you know and i yes i stood up to her educated her but i didn't really stand up for my indianness i didn't really fight for it i didn't really scream about it i didn't i actually was way kinder than i could have been should have been and i guess if i was 
a little more embracing of everything I am, I wouldn't be like taking everything so lightly, especially in a space that I think should be safe for me. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, I think it was a gay bar. So I was just like, I need to realize that just because I try to fit into a certain place doesn't mean that I will always belong. And I need to be comfortable with all of my identities to be able to honestly even have a conversation about this because me talking to her then might have been the right thing to do, but I did not fully believe in every single thing that I might've said. You know, or I wasn't fully embracing every single thing that I might have said. And I can't just walk around and say, just because this place is like this, just because there's a lot of Indians at this bar, that it's a safe space. I need to be able to be comfortable in myself to create that space for me where I can handle any of these situations and I can be comfortable in expressing who I am. I think a lot of the tears that came, came from being judged by people that maybe I wanted acceptance from which I shouldn't be looking for outside. Like maybe I wouldn't have been sad because I think that was a moment of maybe education, maybe anger, but not sadness. And that shouldn't have been a moment of sadness for me, but it was. And that that really led to a, why was I really crying? You know, why did it make me feel bad instead of feeling angry? And uh, that was a huge question. And that was like, the talk was like centered around that. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Um, But yeah, kind of like, you know, uh, moving directions a little bit, uh, talking about writing. Um, So of course, you have like written, like you said, you know, through TikTok and stuff, um, you have gotten like, um, paid gigs, basically to write and all that. But apart from that, of course, you have been writing um, for your job in terms of blogs or content writing, whatnot. But where did writing really begin for you? Like, what is like, say, your first memory of writing and really enjoying writing? And then along the way, when did you realize that, oh, this is something I enjoy doing and I could possibly incorporate it um, into my professional life as well? Yeah, honestly, my first memory of enjoying writing, this is going to sound so horrible, is... You know, uh, in like fifth, sixth grade, obviously throughout your high school, but in fifth, sixth grade, English exams where you had to where you had to write what the poet meant when he said the sky was blue. <laughs> oh my god! Those were my favorite questions. I loved writing my own interpretation of a poem. It was something that I truly, truly enjoyed, and uh, it sounds so dumb now, but. <laughs> no not at all because the reason I said oh my god was because my earliest memory of like writing and enjoying it were English exams (laughs) that's why I was like oh my god there's someone else who feels the same way for me it was um it was I think English two papers which which uh, had the essay writing I loved the essay writing portion because I could just weave up whatever I wanted and they'd give whatever topic and it would be so therapeutic for me I'd, I'd enjoy and I'd always leave it for the end because it was like one of my favorite things to do in the exams so I completely resonate definitely definitely that and also like the kind of poems you got to read I was always amazed I was amazed by it even till today I always go back to uh curtains uh by Helen Spaulding for some reason that poem like stuck to me for so long just look it up sometimes for fun 
uh, whenever I just feel like it. And it's just, I was like, this is amazing. Like when you can convey so much without really saying a lot. And I always thought, oh, I want to, I want to become somebody like that. Like that's somebody that I really want to be. Um, turns out I'm not the silent, mysterious few words type. <laughs> turns out that's not my strong suit. Uh, and then I just got into poetry writing specifically all throughout school. I used to get into all of these poetry competitions. I loved doing them because there was always this prompt and like it gave me time to like, you know, flex a little bit. And I focused too much on, um, I guess I used to focus a lot on using every single tool in my kit. I'd be like throwing an alliteration here, throwing a simile there, throwing, you know, like throwing an onomatopoeia. We have to get everything, you know. And I did, I mean, I think I don't really have a memory of a time that I did not place in a poetry competition okay, uh, wow. all throughout my schooling. Uh, but that's because they were judging it based off of God knows what, whack, <laughs> whack. <laughs> but um, it was it was super fun for me. And then I obviously transitioned to college. And I think when I was in engineering school, just keeping up was so much for me that I really did not do a lot more uh, outside of that. I did love our English classes. My English teacher was great. Um, she really did motivate me a lot. Um, I wrote a whole like autobiography because it was, yeah, it was a mandatory thing to write an autobiography. It was so much fun. I had, a, she was like, this is great. And then I uh, then actually got, she was like, you do a pretty good job. Um, let's just get you uh, as an editor for the college magazine. So then I got to do that. And then, you know, uh, work on the back end of things and that's when I saw a lot of people write and I saw a lot of different types of writing and I judged them you know because uh, it, it was not not that I <laughs> I would have either way but it was still my job to do it so I did judge them I did correct them and I think through that process somewhere I was like maybe this is how I look to other people you know Maybe this is what my writing looks to somebody who uh, who is an actual writer. Uh, and I'm just like, like, like this person who has written this truly believed this was a great piece and they have sent it to me. And here I am critiquing it, critiquing it so heavily. This is what somebody else would do to mine. And I'm just not, you know, and I just convinced myself that way. But then, yeah, I did write a lot and uh, it was fun. That's how I got into writing. <laughs> And then, like, professionally, obviously, like, when did you think that, oh, maybe I can kind of intersperse this skill? I mean, obviously, because I assume when you were making the decision to get into marketing, you would have realized writing was a part of it? No, oh, no, okay. actually, I did not. Uh, I had no idea about the that side of it, because when I got into marketing, I thought we were just going to be making cute little ads for people. <laughs> okay. Genuinely, I'm not even lying. <laughs> Copywriting? Had... <laughs> okay. Yeah. I had such a bad perspective of uh, any other career that wasn't an engineering or a doctor. I just did not think they existed. You know, I, I, and part, I'm not going to sit here and say it was all the fault of my parents for never telling me it's my fault for not looking into things. It's my fault for like nodding along and just accepting whatever is told. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Engineer. Great. Sounds amazing. I had no idea what the work is. And it was very similar when I got into marketing because the course that I had taken for marketing was very consumer focused. 
So it was like doing marketing research. It was doing like focus groups. It was understanding adverts. And I said, that's what marketing is. And then I did the marketing course uh, at Halt. And I was like, oh, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So as I was doing that, we did have a class about uh, blogs and like social media and digital marketing. And I said, you know what? I might not be good enough of a writer to like send my work to a publisher or something, but I'm good enough to write a technical piece. Like, come on, (laughs) I can make this work for me. And it's the only transferable skill that I could see at that point that I could take from my engineering times and transfer it directly. Mm. Um, okay. So that's, I said, I know I can do this. And they, and I had the opportunity to actually, I actually participate, you know, uh, you obviously you were at Halt. So sometimes companies come in and they ask you to like pitch marketing ideas yeah, yeah. and like, do a little bit of work for them. And we, I did that for like two companies and both of them took me on for like uh, consulting and I got to like write for them. So I was like, I'm not bad at this. I think that's where I got the little bit of confidence I had for my uh, tech writing. Um, and I said, all right, if there's a role that actually requires it, I'll submit a few of my work and let's see how it goes. Wow. And then it was just smooth sailing from there. <laughs> it really was because I'm still doing it. Yeah, no, for sure. At 23. No. <laughs> Oh God! You know, if uh, okay, if you guys want to really figure out, well, maybe not Prague's age. I won't give that out. But like, if you want to figure out my age, if you've been regular listeners of the show, you will know how true or false this is. Uh, and if you're not a regular listener, this is your cue to go binge listen all the other episodes to find out what our true ages are. Uh, but <laughs> no, really. But I, I think I have to also give a shout out um, to Halt here because. Um, I know the year that I went, so I did the international business course. Um, but I think for me that at the time I went is because like I had finished undergrad and I was like, okay, uh, I figured I needed an extra year of education in case I wanted to go back to the US to do a master's or something like that. And it's just that my father happened to just come across this program and I saw it. Uh, I applied and I was fortunate enough to also get like a path scholarship. So I was like, okay, you know, this is great. I can go for a year and it's great international exposure. But it really helped in terms of just opening my eyes. Like you said, it really opens your, it broadens your horizons and your perspectives just to, you know, I think interact with people from different cultures, different, you know, countries, different backgrounds. Um, And I got to work, I remember, for my capstone, a project which was on renewable energy in Western Africa, which was like really cool. And it's not something I would have ever imagined myself doing, uh, but that's something I got to work on. So, yeah, I think that way educational institutions and your experiences in general really play a huge role in terms of, you know, shaping you. Because I'm sure even engineering must have done that for you, regardless of, you know, whatever your take was on it. It like, obviously, you knew you didn't want to do it. But I'm sure those four years would have given you experience in other aspects of your life, right? I think I don't really know. I'm not gonna lie. I really feel like when I went to Halt, I now that now when I did go, I was like, I'm so amazing. I'm an <laughs> engineering. I'm so good at this. And when I left Holt, I was like, I am a child that needs to grow up. I really need to understand what life is like, buck up and come on, you know. So I think engineering, honestly, if anything, 
I feel like it did put me in a bigger shell and gave me a larger ego. Oh, really? Okay. A hundred percent. I was, because it was everybody saying, oh, great, you got into VIT. It's so good. Like, it's it's a good school. Like, you managed to, like, get in. And I was like, yeah, look at me. I did. And so many people did it. It was so unnecessary. It was so not needed. But I think I was listening so much to what everybody is saying. And I was like, look at me. And it was validating a sense of self. And I said, wow, wow, wow. The smarts, the brains, the everything. Not true. Very dumb, very childish, pretty stupid. (laughs) But genuinely, that was my experience. Mm. Okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, because for me, I mean, like my three years of undergrad, I did BCom, accounting and finance. Uh, And I realized early on that, oh, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I I was studying chartered accountancy also (laughs) separately. That was, that's a different story altogether. But yeah, I realized very early on, this is, this is not for me. Uh, but I I think those three years were helpful for me in terms of, because I think I did a lot of extracurriculars. I think I learned a lot outside the classroom as compared to inside is what I, I was coming at from there. Uh, no, I can, I can, that, okay, yeah, that I'll totally agree with you. Doing those MUNs, going all those places, meeting those people, talking about world issues opened my eyes more than anything ever could. I think that I am super, super, super grateful for. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that way, of course. And I think, uh, yeah, I think the Indian education system, if not anything else, is great at teaching you how to handle pressure and stress. <laughs> <laughs> like, True. I'm just saying, there are, there are pros and cons to everything. So, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, no, that's uh, 100% true. Uh, Narayan Murthy, if you're listening. <laughs> but, but no, um, like coming back um, to writing. So obviously, okay, you kind of then figured that, okay, now I can kind of integrate this into my existing skill set, right? For what I want to do. Um, but then something what I found really interesting is when you said you were talking about um, having written like an autobiography in your engineering class. And obviously now you do have the social media following and um, I don't know how much of this you might be aware of, but at least now in publishing, especially, and especially on TikTok, book talk is a huge thing. Like so many people have come out of there and have like written stuff. Um, I, I believe Colleen Hoover, who's basically like an influ- like she's like a best-selling author now. And of course you have so many other like organizations, like you have Bindery that's coming up, which is essentially like with these sort of, uh, book talk influencers who are running their own imprints which is crazy so then having said that you know do you see yourself kind of now I think taking that chance of actually submitting your manuscript because there potentially could be a market there is there because there already is now a market that, that is being established so then I think what is your take on that and do you see yourself kind of now actually going out and submitting stuff yeah, I mean, starting off with Book Talk, I'm on Book Talk. I love it. Um, you get to know so much and so many genres and all different kinds of authors. And the best ones always have a huge backstory to tell. Like they really come from a from a place of look at me, look at this. I think one of my favorites was when this daughter was like, my dad has this, you know, he's published this book and it hasn't really sold a lot of copies. And he's been kind of sad. And it was a picture of him at his book signing. Uh, Cause at a local at a local bookstore, and two weeks on Book Talk, and he was sold out. Um, so yeah, but more than that, the drama on Book Talk, so much fun. Oh really? If you, okay. if you guys did get TikTok, it you you guys would love it. Um, 
yeah there was this huge drama recently where uh an author's book just got recalled because um she had uh tried making fake reviews about other authors who were going to publish at the same time it's insane oh my god like review book bombing talk- yes she oh i read i read about this on yeah. uh, publishers weekly <laughs> yeah but the whole thing is i had followed the girl who had outed her on book talk and then recently there was an article where they were like this author's book has been recalled but the picture was of the girl who called her out and people were like excuse me that's not like you can't have that as your cover picture with oh that headline oh my god Anyway, no, but back to the conversation, sorry. Um, I, I think it is a great opportunity, but I think for me personally, I might have to pivot a little bit if I want to get into the space. But I really feel like I'm growing my confidence a lot more. And honestly, a goal of mine for next year is to at least submit a manuscript and get a review. Even not get it published, not nothing like that, but just get an opinion, see where it stands, see where it stacks up and see what I can do better, you know, just for myself. Um, and I think that's a reasonable goal. <laughs> that is, that is. I'm, yeah. I'm convincing myself at this point, honestly. But yes. <laughs> no, and to also because, you know, I, I've said this to myself that I want to also get a manuscript ready for just submission next year. So I'm going to put that out there with you. So let this be a manifestation for both of us. And we're also keeping ourselves accountable. So listeners, you know, want to come back to this and be like, hey, guys, you know that manuscript you spoke about? Is it ready? Is that first draft ready? So, you know, uh, manifesting good things for both of us. But yeah. uh, I know you're very prompt about this in Punctual because I know like even earlier this year when we in January when we met and spoke and you said that you're very keen on speaking at more events and traveling more and stuff and you actually went out and did it so I think you're someone who's very like goal oriented and I, I think you will most definitely do it so um, I can't wait to read your manuscript whenever it's like ready but yeah. No, I do. I think those goals are really important. Uh, I and also I'm not super goal oriented. Let's not make it seem like I'm actually a good person. But every every New Year's, I uh, make like six goals for myself. And I um, take a sticky note and I like paste it right next to my bed. All six goals. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm more than happy if I can do one, you know, the six goals are a bit of a stretch. It's, you know, it requires a lot more dedication, a lot more punctuality, but I'm the six, all six, I get it done. It's the best year I've had. I get two done. It's a great year. I get one done. It's still a good year and we're going to move on. So I think that's always helped me a lot. Hmm. That's, that's a, that's a really cool tip. I, I think that's something I might try. I think just, yeah, putting it in front of you. So you see it every day. Yeah, for sure. That, that that helps for sure. No anxiety at all. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, but also, um, again, kind of, um, you know, shifting gears a bit. Uh, so you've obviously, you know, come out and identified uh, as queer. Um, what has, like, sort of your own journey with sexuality and sexual orientation been like? What has your journey been like? Um, And the reason I'm asking this question is because I feel like, especially in a South Asian context, we don't have enough of those conversations. Yes, now we do have people coming out and really trying to put those conversations out there and having some kind of dialogue. But also because I think it's important we have these conversations so people are just more educated. Because I feel like there's so so many misconceptions that still tend and assumptions that tend to come out um, of the LGBTQI plus community and whatnot. So... um, it would be great to kind of hear your story and kind of your journey. 
Um, I feel like I'm going to disappoint you with my answer. Um, it was so simple, I feel like, for me. And I want to really, really give a huge shout out to my friends, including you, obviously, and everybody who was around me throughout my school days and my college days, because uh, I don't think anybody ever made me feel different. I mean, there might have been like other people who would have said a word here, said a word there, but my friends were always like, listen, you are who you are and you're amazing just as you are. Don't listen to anybody else. Like we're the only people who could make fun of you. And so I just grew up that way. So it never had to be like this, you know, it was never a huge dramatic thing of me fighting for acceptance, I would say. It was, I was really, really welcomed into open arms. And I think it's genuinely because I was just surrounded by such amazing, amazing people who never really made me feel like I had to change a lot. Um, now, in terms of my family, um, I think in the beginning, my parents were a little like, don't do this. Like, don't speak that way. Don't say that. But I think as I grew up, we they just like accepted it. And then it took a while. It took quite a while to have the conversation. It took till I came to the US and then I was more comfortable in being able to talk about it because that's the bigger thing is that I was such a straight arrow child. I was just scared of bringing up any of these conversations, mm. you know, um, and it was it was bad. OK, and also I think. <laughs> can't believe I'm saying this but also the one of the biggest reasons why my parents are like oh this is it is because I think not once but like three times my parents fully caught me watching explicit material oh and so so I think at that point there was no coming back from it you know what I mean it was <laughs> they can say what they need to say but what's on is on <laughs> what's running is running <laughs> you know so okay. <laughs> that's a great heads up that's yeah that's you know it is what it is (laughs) you can see it for yourself kind of a situation so I think it did take me a lot of time to build my courage up to have the conversation with them but I don't think they were blindsided they weren't like and it's not like you know I haven't ever like been fully like even straight perceived like I'll open my mouth and you can kind of be like that's fruity that's a little fruity (laughs) that's (laughs) No, but it's true. You know what I mean? So I guess the only thing is I'm just a lot more comfortable right now in discussing any of these topics. Like if somebody's like, oh, why do you sound like that? I'll be like, if it's a child, I'll I'll still give them a children's answer. But I'm just like, this is just how I sound. This is just who I am. You know, I didn't really choose any of these. I didn't say, I'm going to pick this, this and that. The only thing I've picked is it look good. But (laughs) that you do. That you do. But other than that, so it hasn't been this whole dramatic coming out or anything for me. And also my family, even my extended family have been super understanding uh, and super supportive um, throughout the entire thing. Um, So I've really, I don't think I have the typical South Indian experience because I think it's a lot harder for a lot more people. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, your parents are like, well, yes, fine. I think we can at least accept it till here. 
But if you're a drag queen, that's going to be worse. And I'm like, wow, that's sad. That's sad that now we're like comparing and like differentiating. And that's a huge thing that happens, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And oh, God. That's, yeah. that's, that is a harder conversation to have uh, with my parents because it's treading the line of, wait, are you trying to tell us you are or are you trying to li- just tell us? I'm like, listen, I can just tell you things without it having to be about me, you know? And I don't want you to like have these kind of misconceptions that, it's worse to be somebody else or it's worse to be trans or it's worse to be uh, worse to do drag or something like that. So those were actually harder conversations to have mm. and conversations about myself. No, I think that if any, I know there's like a lot of issues going on, but I think the, the biggest issue uh, in India or even South Asia is essentially the hierarchy of what is worse. You know, it, it's always there's always a hierarchy to everything there's a hierarchy to skin color there's a hierarchy to sexuality there's a hierarchy to every single thing and as long as you have that hierarchy there will be people within the uh, lgbtq community who will look at others and say at least i'm better than them because it's so inbuilt and it's so like you're taught that concept so you're like at least i'm not that is such it's a horrible way of looking at it but it's a common way of looking at it yeah no i mean thank you for you know sharing that um um obviously um like i'm not uh, i mean i do consider myself an ally um and i really do try and educate myself i i do have friends of course who do identify as queer or pansexual um you know um as non-binary and i really do try and educate myself and i had tried up conversations with, and I have with you as well separately to try and understand and it's like what is comfortable for you because the last thing I want is as a friend I don't want to make you feel like you know uncomfortable or you know like out of place or whatever I also want to be respectful and welcoming right and accepting um so yeah I, I think it is important to have these conversations and I like I resonated especially when you said you spoke about the hierarchy of you know what is worse I feel like that kind of exists um and I think I, I think it would be fair to say in a lot of South Asian communities in terms of and it, that specifically, of course, it's there with the LGBTQI plus community, but also with other issues. Um, and to give a really basic example is um, so because uh, I'm, I'm going to reveal my age now, guys, but uh, <laughs> so much for. OK, so, but OK, let's just say I am of a certain age. So let's still keep this suspenseful so you figure out what my real age is. But I am of a certain age by which I should technically be married, uh, but I am not. Uh, so obviously there is the whole like, oh, you know, like she's running out of time. She's getting older. You should like move with it and, you know, get her married and whatnot her biological clock is ticking blah 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 and then you know the counter is but you know it's better than having a bad marriage at least you know she's not divorced or so like you know that because I unfortunately you know I do know a lot of I do know a fair number of people who unfortunately have gone through bad marriages or marriages that have not worked and have ended up separating for whatever reasons and of course that itself is traumatic you know for the people going through them but again to place that comparison of you know at least, you know, she's not, it's not like she's had a bad marriage, you know, she's still, which I, I mean, I guess they're coming from a good place about it, but it's still like, but what is the issue even if you are, you know, okay, you had a bad experience, it's really sad that you had that bad experience, but then why are you not normal for having that? Yeah, it's like, and then oh, even if she had a bad, bad marriage, at least she's not a single parent. 
like oh god yeah exactly the one after oh. that so it's like it keeps going like you know it's horrible yeah so i mean i like that was like something that just came to me that oh my god yeah i know what you, i know what you mean when you say this hierarchy of like what is worse um but yeah i mean but hopefully i guess with conversations like with like this i hope it kind of helps give some clarity to people in education in terms of and just more awareness i think to be more empathetic and yeah, yeah. i think people just if if anybody has any questions i think you should just have conversations with somebody who is like part of the lgbt community with an open mind and people are always willing to have conversations you know people are always willing to talk about it as long as you're not tagging them nobody is yeah i'm not going to take offense on the first go around like maybe you don't know but the third go around yeah we're going to have problems yeah no yeah definitely be respectful um i think yeah be open and be respectful i think that's always helpful if you don't know just be like hey i'm really like i genuinely don't know i want to educate myself can you help me out and i think that usually does give you a very positive um outcome uh in terms of having a productive conversation about it um but yeah thank you so much for you know sharing about that um and would you but i think another thing i did want to ask you is would you say it was easier for you because you moved out of uh india like moved to boston a hundred percent okay i I mean i was just asking it was definitely easier because i think there were open conversations i think that was the the biggest change and the biggest factor is having open conversations and not feeling like every single person is judging me. And that was a huge factor when I was in India. I'm not even kidding. When I was at the end of my, towards the end of my engineering, I had a friend over and she and I were going to the beach and we literally took my Activa to go. And I was wearing a sleeveless shirt with shorts. And literally somebody in that community came to my grandmother and asked, oh, you let him go out with a girl wearing sleeveless? I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, where is this conversation coming from? You know? And you, like, if you wanted to comment about something, comment about how bad I looked in that color combination. Because now that I look back, it was horrible. But nobody cared about that. Nobody cared about improving my fashion sense. Everybody is focused on what I was wearing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. okay so definitely for sure and it's also I think seeing more perspectives for sure because I think in India even when people are from different states there are some things that are very similar and it's a singular line of perspectives uh, about how what is a good person what is a good man what is you know what is a good child uh all of those are very similar in perspective that you listen to your parents you obey your elders you don't talk back you don't even ask questions about things that might be wrong like it's uh and coming out and seeing that there are different perspectives things and going back to the there's no one right answer to be and i think that was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders is that i don't have to agree to every single thing that happens with my parents i don't have to always assume my parents know better than me I can still be respectful and have a conversation with them as adults at this point it's not about saying they know nothing they know a lot but maybe in certain aspects I could have a better conversation and to come to that understanding and 
really tell my mom and have like, I think the hardest conversation was about validating emotions with my mom because she did get really emotional. I was like, listen, I'm not saying anything against it. I'm not, I'm validating your emotions, but you have to also look at mine. You know, we can't go in a singular line. It is both of us that are trying to have a conversation. And so those were like things that I really had to step away, learn and come back. Uh, but no, really, thank you so much for sharing your perspective on this and just sharing your journey on this. Um, but also kind of, you know, since moving to Boston was obviously okay easier for you in that aspect of um, a- accepting yourself. Um, but just generally, what was it like in terms of, or just throughout, say, because obviously there's been this journey you've had um, with, you know, your sexuality, uh, you know, figuring out who you are, you know, as a person. Um, and also now you're shifting, like even culture wise, and then obviously you grew up in India and then you shift to like Boston. So what is identity and belonging been like for you? What is your journey and relationship been like with that? Yeah. Um, so when I moved to Boston, I was in this mindset of I need to fit in here. Like I need to look like a native human person who was birthed by these lands uh, was my initial instinct because it was always like, oh, people from like not here, not in there are better. Uh, kind of a horrible, horrible mindset. Um, so uh, did I fit in? Not really. I was walking around without a jacket in winters. I don't know what I was doing. Who does that in they, Boston? They knew. They knew. I had no idea what I was doing. They knew this person has landed yesterday. <laughs> but honestly, getting to know myself a little more, I really did uh, try to shift to not being as Indian. And I think the biggest uh, aspect was people were like, oh, but you don't sound very Indian. And I was like, because I'm fake, because I am a fake person. I genuinely do have an Indian accent. I'm not going to show you, though. Boo. Um, and then, no, no, it's like, you know, and then they would be like, oh, and I think this was the, it was the worst comment now that I think about it. Back then, I said thank you to it, and I'm very ashamed of myself for that. Um, I was in Holt, and there was, I think, the somebody from Germany, I guess, uh, had come up to me and said, oh, you're, you're from India? I was like, yes, I'm like from India, from India. And they're like, you don't really smell like the other Indians. And I said, oh my God. But then I said, oh, thank you. And I didn't really think much about it. But now that I'm like, now that I know better, I'm like, that was very rude. And yeah. I should not have, I should not have validated that behavior. And I should have said something at that point. But I was so happy just fitting in and being not Indian and being compared to all of these other people and looked at as better than them. And so I hung out with so many of these, uh, so many like people from every other country, but then I didn't really have a lot of Indian friends. Um, And I also did not like the fact that a lot of the Indian people were, again, very they would compare you with everything else and do that. And I was like, oh, I don't want to associate with that. But without knowing, I was doing it to them and honestly being hypocritical at that point, you know, I was doing exactly what I said I don't want them to do. And I was doing it back to them. And I was shocked, flabbergasted they didn't want to hang out with me, shocked why they didn't like me. Just, just 
So that was the initial part of it. And then being there for a while, I kept hearing these comments about me. And I said, I don't know how I feel about it. And I think my feeling about that changed. And I was like, but I I am Indian and I, I should be recognized as one. And I shouldn't have to, you know, you shouldn't make other Indians feel bad or put them down to give me a compliment, which is not like how I want to do this. And then the pandemic hit. And that's my whole thing of, that's when I really went through no, but I am everything and all of it. Because I was trying to choose sides. I was trying to be one or the other. And I was trying to fit into at least one of these categories, one of these spectrums, be one of something. And I was just like, I don't need to. I am just going to be me. And I need to find that middle ground. I am just as much Indian as anybody else. And I'm just as much of an expat as anybody else. I can still fit into any place I go to, but that is that shouldn't change who I am. I shouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to basically hang out with my Indian friends so I'll finally whip out my Indian clothes. Or like, oh, I am around my uh, like American friends so I'm not going to use my Indian accent. Like there was a Thanksgiving where I completely pretended like I came from India two days ago. What? what yeah, I, yeah, I walked, like I walked around with a kurta, did not tell, told people I don't know what any of these things are, to one of my friend's families. So they were, <laughs> well, that was a little <laughs> rude, but I was like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, even if that gets judgmental looks or talks, it's a, it's, it's, it was a, it was a, a shtick. It was like a piece for fun. But even I would have been wait, I would have been very scared of doing it because I'd be like, oh, they'll judge me for being like fresh off the boat Indian. But I didn't care about it anymore. I was like, it's still a part of me. Like if, if when here's the thing right now, I don't sound it. But, you know, when we sit down in a restaurant and we get to talking, I have the most Tamil accent. No, I mean, but. I really go into it. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I like ease into it. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is it. This is me. This this is 19 year old Prags. Now, now 23. Not... Now 23. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's not something that I can control is my issue. It's so involuntary for me. I don't really think about it. I'm like, I need to talk this way. I need... It just comes out, you know? And so I had to just like learn to accept that and learn to, not mind what other people said and not take things personally. Like that was my bigger thing. If somebody, if some random person was like, oh, but you don't really sound like, I'm not going to take it personally. If an Indian says you, you are putting on a fake accent, I shouldn't take it personally. I shouldn't feel like I'm, I owe this person an explanation. I just think, okay, that's all right. If you feel that way. And if you get to know me, you'll get to know me. And that's okay. Like think not taking things personally really helped me become more of myself and just be more a lot more comfortable in everything I do and I guess I'm just louder prouder and everything now yeah and more power to you and you're amazing you've always been amazing you know that ever since we met at 19 uh and I remember we spoke because even I I remember this like when we first spoke and I was like hey his voice is really different but then that was that was like the only that was literally like for two minutes and then after that like we completely broke the ice and we hit it off and I was like I really like this guy he's so cool to hang out with <laughs> like yeah 
Even my voice, I used to be so uncomfortable with it in India, but then I was, because my parents still today think that I'm scared to talk to strangers or talk to wait staff or like have these conversations because I was like that, uh, like in middle school and high school when I used to go out a lot with them. Since then, we've come a long way. I don't care about anything now. So they're just like, oh no. And in front of them, I'm all like, it's okay, (laughs) baby. Uh, but no i but i think one thing that always amazed me um was was your confidence always you were i mean you might say it was put on order but i think it was very genuine i think it's it's a farce if you were saying that you weren't confident because you i think you really were when you ever you entered room in fact one of the things i always you know loved about you is that you you've always owned your individuality like so I think more power to you and I think that's something you've always like stuck to and maintained and uh sorry podcast listeners this just became a personal conversation but, uh, <laughs> because we are friends <laughs> but yeah but no really so yeah I just wanted to put that out there yeah I I'll be very honest I a lot a lot 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 of my confidence comes from uh dressing up every morning as soon as I put on clothes that I think I look amazing and I'm like I can take on the world and uh, also, I know you are a really good friend to me because you st- stuck by me through that Justin Bieber Korean drama yeah, haircut. I did. <laughs> you guys stuck through me through all of that. <laughs> and that's the, I think that's the bigger difference from then and now is that then I feel like I was crying for attention. I was crying to be looked at and to be accepted. And now... I'm just walking into a room knowing that I am. And I think that's the, that's the big leap of confidence in that sense where I don't need to be, you know, I don't need to stick out like a sore thumb to prove individuality. Like I can just be me and that's enough. Like what, it doesn't matter. And I think that's a little bit of growth <laughs> that has happened. You're enough. As long as you are happy with yourself, you know yourself it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks because the people who genuinely love you for who you are will stay regardless. And that is a fact. So I think, yeah, just just be yourselves and be happy with that. Um, but yeah, moving on to much more fun conversation apart from philosophy and self-improvement, uh, which is also what this podcast is about. But no, um, so, you know, obviously, you know, poetry is something you said you've enjoyed, right? Um, but having said that, you know, what are the sort of like kinds of books, um, content, like films, TV shows that have really impacted you that you find yourself being really drawn to? Are there any specific writers, especially while growing up? I feel like as if you're regardless of your creative or not creative, like the things that really influence and impacted you, like for me, Little Women is a book I always go back to and I keep mentioning it on this podcast, but it really is um, and a bunch of other things. So like what are the stories that have stuck with you? Yeah, growing up, oh my god, that's such a throwback. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers Animorphs. Oh my god, I have a colleague who used to love that and I didn't know what it was and I saw a book cover and I was like, what is this? This is so trippy. I'm really sorry, but please go. I will post it on social media in Prugs' carousel so you'll know what it is. <laughs> but yeah. I am a, I used to love Animorphs. I read every single issue. It was basically this whole story about um, aliens coming and invading Earth, um, and there are these tiny little microbe aliens. So they get into adult brains, and they like take over, and that's their whole plot. And there are these kids that come across a cube, 
that gives them the power to transform into any animal that they have seen. Mm. Animorphs. So, so, so innovative. Animorphs, yeah. So at every cover, there's always a, a, a child like transforming into a wolf, yeah. a beetle, a scarab. And that's like the whole plot. And it's a book series. And I remember that was one of my favorite things to read. I was obsessed with it. Um, this was like what, back in like sixth, seventh. And I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I was like, oh my, you know, it was just one of those like teen tween books. Uh, I loved the storytelling of it because I think it was genuinely from the perspective of a child. Like I related to it so much because a lot of children's book can feel adult when you read it back again. But I recently tried to read it and I was like, wow, this is baby, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and um then as i got into high school oh my god this is another one uh what was it hunted by pc cast it's a whole okay you know when the vampire genre was so popular yeah yeah so pc cast had a whole vampire series but it was way cooler because the vampire was in like high school and it was like uh it was it was basically what everybody in my class read so we would just all buy one of the books and just pass it around uh, between each other. And it was uh, a growing up like vampire experience, just not whatever twilight, but <laughs> a different vampire experience. There's not a lot of romance. It's a lot more about yourself and taking action and uh, like being you kind of a thing. Cause she was a misfit vampire. So it's less of a love triangle focused and more of a, I need to fight for myself in the school focus. Okay. So it was it was another thing that I genuinely loved. Uh, now I do I do try to balance out uh, like the reading. Oh my god, you can actually see the Twilight series in the background. It's oh my god, yeah. Here. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like now I try to balance out my reading with a, a little bit more like not adult books, but I think writing that fascinates me. Um, I did the whole Hitchhiker's Guide uh, to the Galaxy. The all all five parts of it, oh, it was wow. one book. It was so huge. Yeah, it was a huge compilation of this book, and I was really fascinated by the writing. Um, how it just took you through so many timelines and spaces without like getting confused, because a lot of books, you know, tend to not have like that full flow. And another book that I loved reading was The Once and Future King by T. H. White. Um. It's about King Arthur. It's a take on the King Arthur story. And it's an old book because it was written in the, I think it was written in the early 1900s or something, or maybe a little before. But it still stands to date. And I think I, the reason it stuck with me so much is because I remember reading it and I finished the book and I started crying. Because it just left me, it left me with an existential dread. <laughs> okay. Like it really, it had, it had a lot of great messages. It had a lot of great meaning. It had a lot of lessons throughout the story of King Arthur itself. But at the end, it literally is such a different take on it. Where it's like, yeah, he made the Knights of the Round Table. Yeah, they had to find this goblet of, uh, of uh, the, go- the the goblet of fire. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the holy grail. That's a crossover and... we didn't see coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, King Arthur and the goblet of fire. <laughs> so, um, the holy grail and all these knights were like basically trained to do that and like take up chivalry, right? But then towards the end, they do find it, 
and they find this goblet of fire. King Arthur is dying. Goblet of fire, holy grail. Oh my god, the holy grail. <laughs> they find the holy grail. <laughs> they also find a wizarding wand and then Voldemort pops up. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so after they find the Holy Grail and the night order is fully established, King Arthur is about to die. What happens after? Right? Because the one mission he gave them has been fulfilled. The knights really have nothing more to do. They don't have a mission. They don't have a goal because the knights weren't educated in the sense of like, these are the things we need to teach our future generations. It was about finding something and upholding what currently existed. So instead of the knights becoming like virtuous people towards the end, they just became tyrants that kept trying to enforce the same King Arthur uh, laws and rules when people wanted change. Oh, so it was just what after, you know, a lot of books always go till the end. Like this is the goal and we achieved it. What after, like genuinely what would happen to this whole group of people after, you know? That's uh, that's also another great thing about animorphs. They lose their power at the end. Oh <laughs> We're back to animorphs. <laughs> We're back to animorphs. But you know, the, it was just uh, that book. That's why it made me cry because I was like, oh my god! Like, it's not just about now. It's really about what you're going to leave for the future. And it shouldn't be rigid guidelines and rules. It should be something you teach them so they can make a better world for them. You know, and it was like such a, it was just, it was, my mind was just blown. I was like crying on the train. It was so bad because I just finished reading it on the train. I was like, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> so, yeah. And apart from books, it's uh, funny. I consume a lot of anime. Oh, me too. <laughs> but you know this. Anime. Yeah. And I think it's because I, one, I do like the storytelling aspect of animes because things, we get to things quicker. It's more exaggerated. Well, you'd be surprised there's slow anime also, but yeah. No, no, yeah. But I think everything is like larger than life. Even the slow moments are just so slowly dragged out, like that one drop of water trickling to show sadness from somebody's umbrella, which really can't be captured in any other format, in my opinion. And it also is something, it's easy to process, it's shorter, and it just, like, I think comes to a conclusion better than a lot of, uh, like, the 45-minute written episodes. There are very few TV shows that I actually watch. Mm. Yeah. No, fair. I think anime is something. I mean, Did you watch the live action of One Piece? The live action, no. Yeah. Even I have. How was it? Even I haven't seen. I'm a little skeptical. I'll be honest, but I heard it was good, so I'm like, okay, I, sh- yeah. I should give it a shot. But I'm like, uh, I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, because the live actions before have not had a good. Yeah. Rap. Yeah. So yeah. But oh, okay. So what else do you like watch or? Um, in terms of actual TV shows, um, uh, they're like I watch only Murders in the Building religiously. Oh, same love and. I watch I, on Amazon Prime, The Boys. I haven't watched that. I feel like there's too much gore, so like not. Really. It's it's very it's extremely gory, but I think it's the most realistic take on uh, superheroes, and it's loosely based off of the comics, The Boys, and so I genuinely enjoyed that. Um, so, and honestly, when I don't have anything else or I'm just feeling low, I watch. The Powerpuff Girls. Oh, love. Or I watch, or I watch Mulan. Oh, 
Yeah, Milan's a nice one. Yeah. Those are my two go-tos. Like, I have... A, yeah, there was a week... There was a whole week where I only wore Pop-Off Girls merch. Oh. I have, like, t-shirts, hoodies, sweatpants, shorts. That's so cute. You name it. <laughs> That's adorable. I mean, for me... I dress up... Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, say, 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 finish. No, it's going to be like, I dressed up as him for a reason. Oh, yeah. Halloween. Yes, you did. Like... Oh, I'm going to post that picture too on Instagram. <laughs> Sprungs has a public social media handle anyway, so. That's true. Yeah, but he he did a, he, you did a stellar job, like, dressing up as him. Thank like, you. such conviction. I was like, oh my God. Because I remember I saw it and I messaged you. I was like, is that him from the Pop-Up Girls? And you were like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um. No, I was saying that for me, like my go-to comfort film is The Devil Wears Prada. Like whenever I'm low, whenever like I just need something that I know will give me comfort, it's always been that movie. Like I can watch it n number of times and like never get bored. And I don't know why I have this thing now, especially for the past, I think three, four years I've been doing this where like either like the day before my birthday or on my birthday or the day after, I will watch that film. I don't know why I do it. I just do. But yeah. Um, that is so sweet. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's an all-time favorite. But I watch a lot of Malayalam cinema also. So that's something that's like comfort for me. Yeah. I feel like Malayalam cinema honestly has some of the best storytelling. I cannot explain it. I've seen remakes of movies and then I've had to go and watch them in Malayalam too. Like, yeah, uh, the the one where they remade it everywhere, the the dad and the... Helen. Drish, Drishim? Oh, Drishim, yeah, Drishim was. Drishim. Yeah. I remember watching Drishim in Tamil and then I was like, ooh, I need to watch in Malayalam. So I watched in Malayalam and when the second part came out, I said, I'll watch in Malayalam, it's fine. Wow, okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I'll just watch it directly first in Malayalam. <laughs> yeah, no, I, the focus for me growing up, that was like huge. But uh, in poetry, what do you like since that's something like, are there any specific writers or poems that really like have stuck with you? Yeah, of course. Of course, uh, Curtains by Helen Spaulding. It was uh, a poem for, it just, I don't, I think... It, it was such a beautiful way of uh, denoting the split between lovers. And I was like, oh my God. Um, uh, what was that one line? Oh my God. It was the white murder of two souls. Oh. That was like, that line, I think, was when I was like, God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> like, this is so good. Like, I don't like. I remember think looking at that and I said I could never come up with something like this, you know. Um, and it denotes so much without seeing anything. And I was like, this is beautiful. And I just remember thinking, I wish I can write like this someday. Um, and then obviously, uh, the rhyme of the ancient mariner because I took the effort to read all seven parts of it. Oh wow! Okay. It took, took very long for me to understand what was going on. It really like it took me reading it like. I think four or five times and I finally was like okay girly <laughs> there are skeletons on the ship <laughs> playing games with you <laughs> what is happening <laughs> I was like what is going on like, I just wanted to know so like it's really old poetry writing which I just feel like captivates so much more and i i do like listening to modern spoken word and spoken poetry but the old stuff i don't know what it i just think it's the conciseness of it 
And I think I try to reflect that in the way I write, which isn't great for like now, because obviously spoken words and like long form poetry is a lot more common and a lot more popular in the way. But I try to at least mix and have a marriage. And I have been trying to write more in the last few years. And uh, actually last year or the year before, I I won a last year. I think I won a poetry contest. Oh, nice. I just entered. I entered out of a whim. I entered out of a whim because I was like, I need to get back to writing. (laughs) I just need to do this for me. And uh, I think the biggest, uh, I think also doing that, I realized that the biggest reason I stopped writing was because when I did write poetry earlier, it always either came from a prompt, like for a competition, or it came out of sadness. And I can't have the vibe. I'm not, that's not the vibe. That is so basic. Not to be not, not to be rude to all the basic people, but <laughs> it's just like, you know, everybody goes and writes when they're sad. But I don't, I just was like, I don't want to write when I'm sad. I want to put down my emotions, but sad isn't the only thing I feel. And sad because of a person uh, isn't the only thing I feel. Mm, that was the bigger thing. I can feel sad. I can feel depressed i can feel devastated because of me because of things in my life because of the world i live around but i can't make everything about one person who is most probably not going to matter soon okay <laughs> like let it go let it go uh so that's that's like uh yeah that's just been a journey of me learning and i've also like experimented with a few styles uh trying to find what works best for me what fits fits uh more for me and yeah no, no, that's that's amazing. I think poetry is something. It's like the first thing I started with when I started writing in two thousand seventeen. Um, but yeah, I think for me, like I resonate because for me also, it started as a form of just coping with my emotions and what I was going through. But now I think there's a genuine. I think there's a genuine love I have for the craft. Um, just learning different styles. Yeah. Yeah, when you, when I, I remember reading your writings and I was so proud of like you like putting it out there because I really, at that point, I, I mean, I still really don't, but have the confidence to do it. And I was like, that is so amazing. And I still remember, I think the one you wrote about anxiety, I was like, God damn it. Like, it's actually making me feel it. You know, it's actually making me feel something at the end of it. And I still remember it so clearly because I think it was, I don't think it was the first one you wrote, but it was like, I just remember that so vividly. And I was like... And because I like kind of saw something in you that I couldn't do at that point, I was like, I need to support you as much as I can because like, it's, you know, if nothing, uh, if my friend can do it, then at least I'll like vicariously see how it happens and how it works out. And I was just so happy and excited when you did that. Oh, thank you. But yeah, I think poetry is great. And for anyone who feels intimidated about it, please don't. If you're interested in it, if you genuinely want to, I think just go through like poetry foundation pick up like even social media poets just kind of discover your own thing and do your own thing so yeah long live poetry because poetry is great (laughs) but yeah um now we're kind of coming towards the end of this interview and we always end with these last two questions so the first one is you know what are your aspirations these can be personal professional creative anything basically things you're looking forward to in the near or even distant future Oh my God, honestly, I, uh, this is new thing. And I said this before, I just want to be happy with me. I want to be completely and utterly happy with myself, um, just with who I am, what I am. 
and accept everything. Not that, you know, not in a way that's stringent to change, but more so that will help me just uh, be a better version of myself and be like, you're amazing. You're good. You're fat, but you can work on it. <laughs> but <laughs> so in a, in, a, in, a, in a positive way, you know, fall in love with all of myself and also really be able to find a job um, that'll allow me to travel as much as I want to. I love traveling. I love going around. And in the recent years, I've uh, figured out the love of traveling alone too. Like I'm more than happy to meet friends. I'm more than happy to go meet people, but I'm not afraid of taking these trips. I'm not afraid of doing things on my own, which was a huge problem that I used to have. I was afraid of going to the movies alone. Like it was sad. It was a sad, sad time. And now I'm not like I would go to a foreign country and eat a meal alone. And I'm completely comfortable in me. And I think that uh, I just want to do that more, work on that more, see a lot of different countries, experience them the way I want to, you know, because when I travel, I just like show up, go on walking tours, figure out what I want to do and just go from there and get one cute picture, one cute picture for Insta. <laughs> so because I I mean, you know, this. like I traveled this year and I did hit my goal of uh, going to 12 countries and I'm counting India in it. But it was super fun. I got to meet a lot of friends along the way. I got make a lot of new friends along the way. And uh, it's made me more confident in myself and uh, less scared, I think, of people. So those would be the two big manuscript, manuscript next year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <things>. manuscript. <laughs> three, three things. I think those would be the three major things. Uh, for next year as aspirations and goals yeah. well fun fact this episode is actually going to go up in january so it'll be 2024 when you hear this so we mean this year so if you say next year actually we also mean 2025 you can push it to that also but yeah i completely forgot it's like the tail end of december yeah, yeah. for 2024 these are the goals <laughs> oh god but yeah no um no, but it's amazing. And I, I won't like, I, I feel like you will achieve most, if not all of them, because I think you are quite, regardless of what you say, you are quite focused and quite obsessed with like achieving your goals. So yeah. We'll, we'll throw in one more. We'll say uh, doing the front splits. Okay. That's the last goal. Okay. That's the fourth goal. Doing the front splits okay. for 2024 okay sure i guess uh <laughs> i feel like we need to you know we need to have a physical element whenever we set goals because we often forget i do yoga so oh, oh brag uh, <laughs> i do yoga i practice yoga so <laughs> just say i don't i just want to do the front splits for fun okay <laughs> cool uh but yeah um so final question what is uh something what is a piece of advice or learning you'd like to share this is something you know which even you've possibly experienced in life and something you just wish more people were aware of oh my god life is not that serious like it's genuinely not as serious as you think it is there's no one right answer to everything and nobody cares about you. Like not in the, not in the, oh, everybody hates you sense, but nobody cares about you as much as you do. Right. 
And that goes in with the life is serious because we focus on every small aspect of ourselves, every small thing. Like I could be sitting here looking at my face. I mean, it's funny. You might not be. Yeah, I have a, I have a um, chicken pox pimple, uh, not pimple, chicken pox mark oh. in the middle of my forehead. I cannot see it, but OK. Exactly. It's it, it's the, but you've met me so many times, right? I used to obsess over it. I'm like, it's in the middle of my forehead. Nobody has noticed it. Everybody's like, I've never seen that. I did not see that until you pointed it out. You were the one who told me you have a chicken pox mark in the middle of your forehead. It's a crater to me in the middle of my head. But it's not that serious. And nobody really cares. You know, nobody cares about a lot of things as much as you do. So like, be kind to yourself. Things are not that serious. And it's okay. Like, it's genuinely okay. <laughs> like, it's so hard for us to believe that and remember that, you know, and just walk out in the world and remember you have done the best you can and you're going to get what you want. Just continue doing your best. That's it. So simple. And on that encouraging and warm and lovely note, we have now come to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being here, Prags. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And as I always say, I'm so proud of you. Um, and I love you. You know that. So, like, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. It was really lovely talking to you. I hope you had fun. Oh, my God. I had a great time. And I at least got to talk to you for a long time. It's been so long since you met in Chennai, but no, I'm really grateful uh, that you had me here. And honestly, it's an honor to be on the Chronicle writer. Right. Closet writer Chronicles. Sorry. It's an honor. Let me do that again. And it's an honor to be on the Closet Writer Chronicles. <laughs> Thank you. It's literally right over there. I don't know why I can't read. So that was my conversation with Pragadesh Kalaivanan. It was so much fun talking to him about his, you know, journey with figuring out a career, gender, and social media. Closing this episode with poems written and narrated by Pragadesh. I hope you enjoyed the show and I'll see you next week with a new guest and a new chronicle to share. Talk soon. And um, this poem is called One Step Away. It is the expression of everything that I've been afraid of. What if I wasn't afraid to fall? Not just from heights that made my leg jello, but also in love, without reservations, without the fear of rejection. Not thinking about the inevitable loss lurking in the shadows of my self-doubt, but dreaming of the things I could be if only this fear, this fear of failure, didn't continue to hiss. Eerie lies with imagination as, as its accomplice. Could I then be at peace, drowning out the voices of scrutiny that continue to shout, regurgitating every single self-doubt that stops me from truly being myself? What if... I wasn't afraid to finally step off, off this cliff, and could stop wondering, what if, what if? Um, this next piece is called Candle. It essentially reflects how um, 
we segment our society and how we always have to feel better by putting someone else down or in a hierarchy. You sit in the dark, wanting to feel better, better than someone else, so you burn me. It's not my warmth, but my slow melting that makes you feel happy. So you continue. Last flame fizzles, nothing left to burn. Your cold darkness still remains. So you find a new candle. This piece is called There's a Leak. It is about the little words and comments that we often let slide that sometimes end up building up to a point where it's just unbearable. Drip. I heard the water leak. That's just one drop. So I let it be. Drip, drip. There it goes again. If it gets faster, I'll worry then. Drip. Oh, I'm trying to sleep. Drip, drip. Can I just ignore it? Drip. Oh, it'll stop. I convinced myself as I doze off. Woke up feeling wet. The house underwater. I was going to drown. But at least the dripping had stopped. Uh, The next two pieces are called Scar and Phoenix. They're both about words that we hear. Words of hatred that we start to believe. And what really happens after. Scars. Scars in my skin, carved with hatred, born from your words, pushed by your tyranny, reimposes familiar pain, etched on my soul, throbbing forever. We obviously can't let the pain just keep throbbing, so here is Phoenix. In the end, I believed all the words etched into my skin. In the end, I had lost myself to opinions, forgotten who I was. In the end, I wished I could love me more, hold on to happiness. In the end, ravenous flames ate my soul, still wanting more. In the end, I turned to ashes, mixed with dust, just to be born anew. Mm. 